You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self-improvement addict, and host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh all week long. Those balls have gotten you into trouble, though. Oh, you yeah. They picked us because we're horny. Yeah. Right. And that's your chronic state. That's 24-7. My life has changed so much that it's almost like a completely different life. From the latest news on The Real Housewives. I'm so happy to be here and engage with you. Deep dives into celebrity legal scandals and unfiltered convos with your favorite stars. I've got you covered. And yes, I always keep receipts. What? Like it's hard? What's going on, guys? Welcome on in. Welcome on in. Welcome on in. We're going to be kicking off today's podcast episode with a little legal update. We're going to talk about Gwyneth Paltrow and what's been going on with week two of the trial. We recapped week one over the weekend. So on Monday's episode, you got a little recap of the first week. We are now into the second week. We should be wrapping things up by Thursday of this week. So by the end, we'll know who's winning and who's losing, the plaintiff or the defense. And we also have a legal update with Sheena Shea as she had to appear in court this morning for Raquel Levis and this TRO that she filed. Sheena's finally putting on the record what went down and it's not what Rachel says went down. We've got some updates on Jax Taylor. Tom Sandoval's just given his first interview. Juan Dixon has been spotted out again with his mystery woman. Um, we have some new breakup news, divorce news, some Beverly Hills news because I got some scoop on what they've been filming. So there's a lot to break down. But really quickly, I just want to let everybody know that we still got a few tickets left for our live show in Philly, April 27th at City Winery in Philly, No Filter Night Out with the Brav Bros. So come meet me, Shooter, and Steel. We've also got some friends that are coming out, so you're not going to want to miss it. April 27th at City Winery in Philly. Tickets are selling fast. I believe as of this morning, we were like literally almost sold out of the VIP packages. So if you want a VIP package, I suggest you get it today and save your spot right now. Go to nofilterlive.com. That's nofilterlive.com to get your tickets to come to No Filter Night Out, April 27th, City Winery in Philly. NoFilterLive.com to get your tickets. Okay, let's dive in. Let's kick things off with Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow, the queen of goop, the queen of the candles that smell like vaginas, but the really good ones and not, not the not good ones, but the ones that smell like what you want your living room to smell like. So send it to Daryl. Last week, they kicked off her trial, which is about regarding a ski collision that happened back in 2016. Yes, this is over a collision that happened seven years ago or over seven years ago at this point. It has now gone to trial. Mr. Sanderson, Terry Sanderson, is a retired optometrist. He's now suing Gwyneth Paltrow. He tried to sue the ski resort. That didn't go anywhere. So now he's here at a jury trial trying to sue Gwyneth Paltrow. The jury will make a decision this week in terms of who they think has the who they think is liable for the negligence that occurred on the ski slopes that day in Utah. The judge will then determine what the damages will be due are. Terry Sanderson is suing for just over $3 million and Gwyneth Paltrow is suing for $1 plus attorney's fees. So like I said, this is all set to wrap up by Thursday at the latest Friday, but it looks like the judge is really pushing to have this wrapped up by Thursday, which is tomorrow. So hopefully we'll have a good um, update by our Thursday Night Live. Hopefully there'll be some closure to all of this drama. So Gwyneth Kids, 
Gwyneth's kids were also set to testify this week, but because testimonies were running a little long, which Owens, Gwyneth Paltrow's attorney, has not stopped complaining about how this is ruining his time. And Owens is like a piece of work. If anybody caught the Amber Heard-Johnny Depp trial, then you'll know that Elaine was a piece of work in on Amber Heard's team. But like here, Owens is just like the most annoying person ever. He has co-counsel um, James and James is like popping off right now. What's James Egan? He's um, the other attorney working on the Gwyneth Paltrow case. And he's not only a cutie patootie, he's only 34. Trust me, me and the internet sleuths did a little digging because he's a cutie patootie and he was doing a little bend and snap in court this week. But it's funny because they found out that he's also or like used to be a a singer, a composer, a musician back in the day. So we dug up some of his songs on Apple and on Spotify. It looks like the last of his music was released in 2017. And since then, he's decided to just pursue being an attorney full-time and representing Gwyneth Paltrow in court. But I like James because he asked very good questions. He's very clear in his cross-examinations. He's very clear when he has um, witnesses on the stand. So he's been really good. Owens has been annoying and he has a fucking mask on in core. And I'm just like, oh my God, like, because he takes it off and on and off and on. And it's just like, he's just the most dramatic person ever. And I'm not living for Owens, but the internet and I are definitely living for James. So I highly recommend if you want to catch up on the last bits of it, tune into Emily D. Baker, but I'll recap what we got so far on Monday and Wednesday, or sorry, Monday and Tuesday. So Monday, we saw Mr. Terry Sanderson, who is the plaintiff suing Gwyneth Paltrow. He finally took the stand and gave us what he remembers happening that day. And he is very clear. He is loud and clear that he was on the slopes and coming from behind him. He heard this loud, horrific, it was like this this terrifying scream as if somebody had just recklessly lost control and then boom he'd never heard this scream before in his life it was like nothing he'd ever heard right and then all of a sudden he feels these two fists jab into the back of his back that sent him flying spread eagle he did the the motion in church literally flying spread eagle like just imagine a squirrel flying through the sky and that's the the gesture he gave us in court while testifying spread eagle which landed him in the snow face down. Now, he doesn't remember Gwyneth Paltrow also falling with him. He just remembers flying and then landing in the snow face down. Um, And then he heard some commotion and people were yelling at him, he claims. So he was like trying to like, he didn't, he was trying to reconcile what was going on. He's like, I heard a man that was yelling at me and I didn't know if this man was a husband or a boyfriend. Like he must've been a husband or he must've been a boyfriend. A lot of like details went into this, right? And he was saying that There was just a lot of detail in terms of what he remembered in those moments, which was interesting considering, you know, he's claiming that this accident gave him a traumatic brain injury. And my questions from it were kind of like, well, one, if she came at you so fast and hard, so fast and furious and her her, uh, fist jabbed into your back, I would think there would be some back damage, not some brain damage. But he was even saying that, like, you know, when he was trying to look around, you know, he saw, like, sparks. And he's like, oh, my God, is this my eyes? Is something going on with my vision? No, that's not my eyes. This is my brain. Something's going on with the circuits in my brain. And it was just, like, a lot of detailed, you know, memory of what he was thinking in those moments that, to me, I was a little skeptical because I'm like, "Mm, are you really going to be thinking about all of this and remembering all of this when you just suffered a brain? 
brain injury. Like your brain, there, like it seems, it sounds like that was like a concussion and an actual brain injury. And I don't know, I've never had a concussion, but I would just imagine like your brain isn't processing all of these details all at once, nor are you going to remember all of these details seven years later in court. And again, his testimony has changed quite a bit. But again, when you have a traumatic brain injury, sometimes the details are fuzzy. And there are certain moments where it's convenient where the details are fuzzy. And then certain moments where he remembers flying through the air like a squirrel, like Superman. So he says that when he heard this man yelling, he wasn't clear if it was a boyfriend or a husband. He wasn't sure what it was, but he was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He whispered, I'm sorry, because he didn't know what else to say. But I'm also like, you whispered, I'm sorry, but weren't you face down in the snow? And you said that they just basically left you for death in the snow. Very bizarre, right? But he's giving us this detailed recollection of what he remembers. And he remembers just barely been able, being able to whisper and mutter the words, I'm sorry, even though he claims to have been face down in the snow. So he was disoriented. He didn't really know what happens. Um... All of this is basically going off of what his friend Ramon, Mr. Ramon, is testifying in court. So it sounds like there was some sort of accident. I don't know how much of this accident Mr. Sanderson remembers or how much he wants to remember, but it sounds like a lot of what he's going off of is his friend, Mr. Ramon, who was about 40 feet behind them and claims to have witnessed the accident and claims he saw exactly what happened. And he's the only eyewitness to the actual collision. I don't know if I trust Mr. Ramon because Ramon's testimony and Sanderson's testimony definitely have discrepancies. They have differences where, you know, it doesn't like Mr. Sanderson is over here claiming he was thinking about, you know, he was thinking that he had an injury in his brain and he heard a man yelling at him and he wasn't sure if it was the husband or if it was the boyfriend. And he was saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but he didn't have the energy to muster. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then Mr. Ramon was saying, oh, by the t- when I got there, I was the first one on the scene. I witnessed the accident. And when I got there, he didn't even know his name. He couldn't even tell us what his name was. So it's like, was he super confused that he didn't even know his name? Or was he able to kind of reconcile what was going on and, and issue a whispered apology in the moment? Lots of discrepancies, you know. Also, medical experts, including Mr. Sanderson's own medical experts last week, claimed that he he did have four broken ribs, but they claimed that the only way for him to have had those four broken ribs was to have been caused by his arm when he actually hit the snow. So he would have had to have fallen on his arm and not what Mr. Sanderson is claiming, that he flew like, you know, a squirrel in the sky, spread eagle, and landed in the snow. So that's not going to break your ribs. Like, there would have to be some sort of... um some sort of pressure, usually probably caused by the arm and some sort of outside force that smashed you into your arm into the snow, which is what makes Gwyneth Paltrow's account a little more believable. So it sounds like he's really just going based off of what his friend Ramon is saying, but I don't know if they've compared that many notes because some of their stories doesn't add up. Um, and as we remember, Gwyneth tells Gwyneth Paltrow testified on Friday and her testimony, she claims that what Mr. Ramon and what Mr. Sanderson, their version of events is not what actually went down. She's claiming that he's the one that crashed into her and knocked them both down, which is when she then fell on top of him, which makes sense because if her body weight fell on top of his as a result of him knocking into her, then she would have fell on top of him and that would have led him to fall on his arm and that would have broken his rib. So that medically makes a lot more sense in my mind if I were on the jury. 
She got up. She was pissed. She was like, you crashed into my fucking back. And she was like annoyed by it. She said that it wasn't a sharp hit. She said that it was a little more dull. She said that she just, she remembers him sliding in between her, his ski sliding in between her legs. And then they both fell over. Um, the reason that this is important, because that would naturally be like, well, then she fell on him. She broke his ribs. That's why he's suing her. No, in this case, when you're on the ski slopes and when there is a negligence case like this, whoever is at the bottom, whoever's towards the bottom of the slope has the right of way. So whoever else crashed into them, similar to like a car crash, right? So the part, like if you crash into somebody from behind, the person behind is the one that's responsible for the actual crash even if the person that caused the collision got injured as well. They're still the ones at fault. They're the ones that, you know, are the negligent party in this case. So Sanderson's claiming Gwyneth Paltrow crashed into him. Paltrow's claiming he crashed into her. She was pissed. She's like, you crashed into my fucking back. That's when Mr. Christensen, who's her her son Moses' ski instructor, he comes over to assist her um, and then handles the matter from there. So after Sanderson, we had Mr. Christensen then testify. And again, he was Moses' ski instructor. So he was with the family while they were skiing. And I believe he skied with them about three different times, um, two times prior to this one incident. He has skied with Gwyneth and her family at the resort. And to be clear, he works for the Deer Valley Resort. He does not work for Gwyneth Paltrow personally. So um, we had him testify and we had the, the woman that was the attendant to Mr. Sanderson after the collision when she was making sure she was checking him out and making sure that he was OK. She testified. We heard from Snow Patrol. We heard from the Deer Valley manager, followed by some expert witnesses from Paltrow's attorneys. Sanderson had previously tried to sue the ski resort that got thrown out. So now here he is trying to sue um, Gwyneth Paltrow. So a lot of the Deer Valley staff, I guess they've already you know, done some of these depositions. They've already testified before. They've, you know, that's where a lot of this evidence that had been accumulated over the years is coming from as well. So we did see some reenactments that were animations that the defense team, which is Paltrow's team, they put together that kind of exhibit what may have happened and where everybody was placed. Definitely some budget went into that. She put a little money behind that. So, I mean, good for her. She can afford it, but like, yeah. Um, and the ski instructor is very clear. Mr. Sanderson was skiing very swiftly. He was Moses' Moses's instructor, so he was with Moses. But the reason he was paying so much attention to Mr. Sanderson is because he saw Mr. Sanderson as a pretty advanced skier. And when you have somebody that's swiftly kind of skiing down the slopes, he wanted to make sure that the child that he was instructing you know, he was acting like a defensive driver in that sense, where he was trying to make sure he kept an eye on Mr. Sanderson or just this person that was skiing swiftly to make sure that, you know, he kept an eye on Moses and, and kept his distance and made sure everybody was safe. So he didn't see the actual moment of impact. Again, the only person that claims to see the actual moment of impact is Mr. Ramon, who, again, was about 40 feet behind them. He's claiming that he saw all the moments leading up to it, and then he was not looking in that direction at that exact moment, but he does remember the aftermath, which is when he found he did not find Mr. Sanderson face down spread eagle on the snow. He found Mr. Sanderson underneath Gwyneth Paltrow as the two of them were intertwined with each other on the ground, which again makes sense with what Gwyneth Paltrow is claiming. He slid behind her. They were kind of like, she says, like spooning in that moment because his back was up against hers, and then they fell over. 
Whitney, the attendant who later helped Mr. Sanderson, said that there was no need for her to call an ambulance. He appeared fine for the most part. She did not believe that there was any head injury or any concussion based off of her observations from him and the reports that were reviewed in court because she filed a report that day. She said that had it been as bad as he's claiming that she would have absolutely called him an ambulance. And she's like, in this case, what we would do is if it seemed that bad, I would call an ambulance because that's the due diligence per our protocol. And if the client who would be Mr. Sanderson, the skier, the person that's a client at Deer Valley, if they refuse the ambulance, then that's on them. But at least we know we did our due diligence and we can mark down in the paperwork we called an ambulance. In this case, she did not call an ambulance because she felt that there was no need to call an ambulance because he appeared fine. Mr. Sanderson, or sorry, not Mr. Sanderson, Mr. Erickson, the ski instructor, also claims that when he checked on Gwyneth and Terry Sanderson, that both were both said that they were fine. None, neither of them reported any injuries in that moment. So that's why he didn't take it any further, because at that point he was like, oh, well, everybody says that they're okay. Everybody says that they're fine. The manager at Deer Valley is also very clear and seemingly annoyed by the plaintiff's line of questioning, which at some point was absurd, the plaintiff's attorneys. I remember at one point they had Mr. Christensen and because Sanderson's claiming that Christensen yelled at him because remember he said, oh, he had a he had a whisper, I'm sorry, because somebody was, a man was there yelling at him and he thought that it was the husband and he didn't know who it was. And so the 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 plaintiff's attorneys were like, oh, so did you yell at him? And he's like, no, I did not yell at him. He's like, oh, you don't yell at all on the slopes? He's like, I'm typically not somebody that yells on the slopes, no. And they're like, so you've never yelled in your life? And he's like, no, I've never yelled in, in you know, my life. He, they're like, well, what about, what if one of your students was skiing off too far? Wouldn't you yell at them to call them to come back? And he's like, not typically, because my students don't drift off. They want to stay stay by their instructor. And if they do drift off, there is usually a meeting point that we all know we're going to meet each other at. So if they drift off a little too far, which is unlikely, then we'll meet them at some point. And if anything, I'll just head in their direction and, you know, call to them, but I won't be yelling or screaming at them. And he's like, so you've never screamed before in your life? even if they drifted far away. It was just like really ridiculous, right? Um, Poucher's attorneys had an expert that gave us like a whole physics lecture and explained how the plaintiffs, their expert, miscalculated the moments of the collision. He explained how the laws of physics, he explained the laws of physics. Why can't I not talk? Why can't I talk today, damn it? He explained the laws of physics and also explained how he analyzed both Gwyneth Paltrow's testimony and Mr. Ramon's testimony. And according to the laws of physics, Gwyneth Paltrow's testimony is the only one that actually makes sense with the actual aftermath and with the actual injuries that occurred. So he did the whole formula. He showed it all for the attorney. It was a lot of math. I couldn't keep up. We had a brain injury expert that came out. He did a lot of talking that I didn't really understand, but he also kind of laid out the point that some of the symptoms that people were seeing when they claimed that after the accident, um, Terry Sanderson started to become angrier. His behavior had changed. This expert claims that the pre-existing conditions that Terry Sanderson had prior to the collision, those were like he was already down a di- uh, he was already headed down a uh, a spiral that was leading to these results that comes with old age. So he's like the the symptoms and the things that he was experiencing based off of his medical records prior to the collision. That adds up with where he's at right now. Like that checks out. And it also checks out that the injuries that he sustained the day of the collision healed in the correct amount of time. So 
he gave that testimony as well. There's also a lot of talk um, about this GoPro footage, and this keeps coming up because at one point there was a link that was in an email that was now revealed in court, and it was a meetup group. And the meetup group was basically a bunch of people that were there that day that were in the group that Sanderson and Ramon were in. And in that group, I get, there's like a photo. There's a photo of um, a photo from, I guess, the medical care, the urgent care, the quick care. I don't remember what it was called exactly, but like wherever they were checking him out. Uh, to make sure that he was fine. There was like a photo of the woman there, Whitney, and she's like smiling with like, you know, she's happy and, you know, she, I don't know. It was weird, but there was chatter about the incident and that day and GoPro footage. And people believed that there was this GoPro footage that existed. Um, It keeps coming up. I had a friend yesterday that texted me and she's like, oh my God, see, LOL, Gwyneth is totally guilty. They have footage of her crashing into him. And I'm like, "Um, no, that's not what the meetup group link revealed. There was talk of a possible GoPro video, but the plaintiff has said that no such video actually exists. They were merely, that Sanderson was merely speculating that there should have been GoPro footage because somebody on the slope should have had a GoPro and they should have caught what was going on. But to this day, nobody has been able to find anybody that has GoPro footage. The defense, the plaintiffs, nobody knows anybody that had a GoPro in that moment that caught the actual collision. This was all like speculation. So they thought that at one point it may have existed, that somebody on the slopes should have had a GoPro, but that was all merely conjecture. So no, there is no video evidence that actually shows the collision. All the evidence from what I've seen points to Gwyneth telling the truth and Mr. Sanderson telling an elaborated version that was likely fabricated by his friend, Mr. Ramon. And to clarify, um, the money that he's suing for, because I do believe I put out a false statement on Monday, Um, the punitive damages, I believe, have been reduced that he's suing for, and there's no cap on the compensatory damages. But in the opening, they did ask the jury to value their damages, Mr. Sanderson's team, to value their damages at $3.26 million. He doesn't talk about any specific damages, but it has been reported, and this is where I got confused. It's been reported that 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 amount was reduced to $300,000, but I clarified with Emily D. Baker, and I don't know where the 300,000 number is coming from exactly, but I do know legitimate news agencies reported that number, which is where I got that number from. But in watching Emily and her YouTube videos, she claims that the documents are clearly asking for the $3 million and not this $300,000 number. So it's unclear where that miscalculation came from. So I did want to clarify, I don't know where that $300,000 number has come from. I know it's been reported, but according to the actual court documents and according to Emily D. Baker, the damages are the damages that are being asked for are still listed at $3.2 million. So we'll see. Trial set to wrap this Thursday. Hopefully we'll have some answers by then. Um, so we'll be set and ready for our Thursday Night Live. TBD, I'll keep you posted. But I don't envision Mr. Sanderson winning this case. He lost the case against the resort. I don't envision him winning his case against Gwyneth. If anything, I think Gwyneth could possibly. Um, I know she's unlikable, but I always like to say likability and culpability are two completely different things. She may not be the most likable. She may be a little out of touch, but she has a very good chance of winning her countersuit, which is only $1 plus her attorney's fees being paid for. So either Gwyneth wins her case or they both lose. And the jury's like, you know what? Screw you both. You both were in a collision. It was an accident, whatever. 
But I don't think Mr. Sanderson has any legs to stand on. He lost those on the slope. Oh yeah, yeah. But also, people were making fun of her for the um, for her saying that she lost half a day of skiing. I tried to clarify this on Monday, but just to reiterate, the reason she said that she lost half a day of skiing is because in order to sue for negligence, you have to prove damages, and there has to be some sort of monetary damages. So in this case, the damages that she's claiming was she paid for a full day of skiing and she lost half a day. Therefore, she lost half of the fee that was paid that day to ski because the collision kept her from continuing to ski that day. So that's why that was brought up. And that's why she's like, I lost a half a day of skiing, but she's not suing. Let's be very clear. She's not suing for those, that, that daily fee. That's not something that she's suing for. She just had to say that to lay out what the damages actually were, but she's only suing for $1 in damages, which she claims is purely symbolic. Okay. Let's move on over. Vanderpump rules. All right, hold that tea because I got to give some love to my pals at Chomps. You know I love me some Chomps protein sticks, right? Well, my pals just launched two new flavors, limited edition, online only, available now. We have the new taco beef stick, which is delicious. It literally tastes just like a beef taco. So yummy. Give me a margarita, give me some guac, and I'm here for it. And they have the new habanero beef stick, also delicious. You know I love the jalapeno beef stick, but the habanero just adds like a whole new zing to it, a whole new spice. Both with 10 grams of protein and only 100 calories, zero sugar. It's all the stick without the ick. And you know, I mean, listen, like Raquel... I like a good beef stick or two. And now we have two new flavors. You guys can go and give them a try. They're gluten-free, Whole30 compliant, all the good things, right? You can go to chomps.com right now. Use code ZAC20 for 20% off. That's code ZAC20 for 20% off. The new habanero, the new taco beef, both available right now online only. So you can't get these in store, but you can use code ZAC20 for 20% off any order at chomps.com. So head on over right now culture, society. On every street and around every bend lies a world positively overflowing with both. But sometimes we can all use a night in, removed from the endless spiral of chaos and absolute nonsense that waits outside our doors. And for those nights, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop local stores and compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Then get your favorite drinks delivered to your door in under 60 minutes. All from the comfort of your couch. Because society is great, but it doesn't have your couch. And it's windy out. And you forgot your jacket. And oh my god, would you look at the line at that place? Are you serious? I... (sighs) So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Sheena Shea has been vindicated. So Sheena Shea appeared in court this morning. Raquel Levis did not appear in court this morning. She did, however, issue a statement to the press, which is very on brand for Raquel. Let's just not face anything, but let's definitely issue an exclusive to the press. So Sheena said that she was fully prepared to lay out the evidence proving Raquel lied and made false claims in the legal documents that were filed. However, Raquel did not appear at their scheduled court hearing Wednesday morning, claiming that she no longer planned to pursue the permanent restraining order. Remember, last week her attorney said it was just supposed to be a cooling off period, right? So she basically just wanted to waste the court's time and resources. 
But the TRO has now officially been dropped by the judge, not by Raquel, but by the judge in today's court hearing. She did give the court notice, though. She did tell the court, hey, BTW, by the way, um, I'm going to skip the court hearing because I don't care about this anymore. It's basically what she said in a more formal way that her attorney filed for her, basically saying we don't have any reason to pursue the permanent restraining order anymore, so we will not be appearing in court to pursue it any further. But Sheena did appear with her attorney. The matter has now been settled. Raquel does maintain that Sheena punched her. That's what she issued to the press this morning. Sheena has now clarified, though, that she did not punch her. She's clarifying that she did not cause a concussion, but that Raquel grabbed Sheena's wrist. And so in pulling away, she pushed Raquel away, which is kind of what I assumed happened. Um, because, I mean, Sheena's not going to clock somebody directly in the face and, and land directly in the center of somebody's face. Like with Raquel's height and with Sheena's lack of fighting skills, like it's just not likely that you're going to get that clean of a shot. But what I did think happened, and I don't know this as a fact, this is my own speculation, but Sheena said that Raquel grabbed her wrist and she pushed her off, right? So I'm thinking, and this is kind of what I assumed happened prior, um, that like she grabbed her and then she like swatted at her. And if she like, if you're trying to pull your wrist back and you kind of swat at somebody like that, then it's possible that maybe Sheena's nail hit, like scratched Raquel's face, or maybe Sheena's ring scratched Raquel's face, maybe a bracelet that Sheena happened to be wearing. I don't remember what jewelry she had on that day, but it's possible that something, a nail or something that Sheena had on her hand, maybe even like a, a, a wristlet, like a little purse that she had in her hand, maybe in that motion of like pulling her hand away and pushing Raquel away after she grabbed her wrist, that motion could have very easily scratched Raquel's case, Raquel's face. So this is the, the shady statement that Sheena's attorney released after court today. She, um, he says... This isn't reality TV. This is the real world, and Rachel's actions have real consequences. Rachel filed a false police report, a false medical report, and a frivolous petition for a restraining order. Sheena didn't punch Rachel. Rachel didn't get a black eye. Sheena pushed Rachel, but only after Rachel grabbed her wrist. And Rachel did not suffer a concussion. When Rachel realized that she would lose in court and she couldn't drop it, she decided to not show up at all. We're we were prepared to expose Rachel's lies, but instead she will live knowing that she betrayed two of her best friends, Sheena and Ariana. Instead of accepting responsibility for her actions, Rachel shamefully tried to misuse our justice system to shift blame to Sheena. We are happy that Sheena is now vindicated. And good for you, Sheena Shea. You go, Glenn Coco. You go, Glenn Coco. I'm happy about that. I think that justice was served in this case, and I'm glad that that's finally done. Okay, let's talk about Sandy Balls, Tom Sandoval. So in an exclusive interview to TMZ, or an exclusive interview to Backrid that happened to get published on TMZ, I'm like, wow, Backrid just like happens to be catching everybody, right? And getting TMZ all these exclusives. So Tom Sandoval was caught in a shopping mall where he was rehearsing for Tom Sandoval and the Most Extras because he has some upcoming tour dates that are coming. And the backward paparazzi dude is asking Tom, he's like, hey, how are you? How was the reunion? He's like, you know, you're going to have to wait and watch. You're going to have to wait to find out. Can't talk about it. He's like, how's Ariana? He's like, I can't comment on that. He's like, how are you and Raquel? And he's like, I can't comment on that. 
but he was able to let everybody know that he has some upcoming tour dates coming and him and him and the most extras are going to be appearing in some cities nationwide. So be sure to come on out. They're rehearsing right now. He also says that he wishes he could do things differently that, you know, in hindsight, things are now a lot clearer. And then he goes into this very detailed mansplained explanation of what hindsight actually means. And he tells, you know, the the paparazzi dude, he's like, yeah, you know, hindsight means when you look back and you're reflecting on things and you're feeling different about things. I'm like, oh, is this how we speak to, to Raquel? Because it's a little condescending. Um, but yeah, and I think even the, the reporter dude like was playing around with it. And he's like, oh, I thought, you know, hindsight meant you were like looking to the future. But like, I don't believe that the TMZ guy or the paparazzi dude from Backrate is that stupid. I think he was just placating and, you know, letting Tom do his little thing and teach him about hindsight and how Tom is reflective of his decisions. But he also does ask about Schwartz and Sandy's. And this is interesting because he's like, how's the business doing? How's your restaurant with Schwartz? And he's like, is it hurting it? Is it not hurting it? And he's like, I don't really want to comment on that. And so I was like, this is your opportunity to say that your restaurant is hurting. So is your restaurant not hurting? Because if it's not hurting, then like maybe like the scandal actually helped it. I don't really know. But it was just interesting how he kind of evaded that question and kind of dodged it. But it was like, oh, but, you know, it's been so hard. But I tried to talk about this on on the YouTube channel on Tuesday where I basically explained that, like, I don't believe the scandal is hurting Schwartz and Sandys. I think if anything, the scandal is helping Schwartz and Sandys because people that were not familiar with the show before are now familiar with it. I think what's ultimately hurting Schwartz and Sandys and where I ultimately see it failing, they're probably going to blame it on the scandal in the end. But I think the reason the restaurant maybe isn't doing as great as like Pump or Tom Tom right now is because of the location the restaurant's in. I'm glad that on TikTok, people are finally posting videos showing that it's in a strip mall with a dog groomers and a, a Papa John's or like some sort of pizza spot across the street from a Gelson's in a residential area. And also that, not only that, but right next to them, there's like a beer and wine bistro. So it's a very chill neighborhood, very chill vibe. Schwartz and Sandy's is not a chill vibe. They put so much money into it. And when you walk in, you're like, oh yeah, they invested a lot of money into the decor and into the experience of it. It's not bad, but I think it would have done better in West Hollywood, maybe in downtown. Or if they wanted to meet the hipster market, they could have done like an Echo Park, a Silver Lake, um, Highland Park. I think that would have attracted that hipster vibe and it would have been like psychedelic and cool. But the location that it's in is just not, it's a more residential family location that I remember when I went a couple weeks ago or last weekend just to kind of check it out to be like, is it really as dead as they're claiming? It wasn't dead, but it wasn't popping, you know, for a Saturday night because I went on Saturday. It wasn't dead, but it wasn't popping. Um, and there was, a, I, we got seated next to a couple that was local and they're like, we needed to check it out because we've never watched the show, but, you know, we wanted to check it out because we've heard so much about the show and the scandal and the affair and all that. So again, it's helping, but also I don't think many locals, it's not a place that you would go out of your way to go and eat at, right? Unless you knew the show. But I also feel like you can go, you're better off going to Tom Tom because then you have Sir and Pump and something about her is going to be opening up right there as well. And it's like in the main hub of West Hollywood on the main strip on Santa Monica Boulevard where all the bars are, where people go out every night and go bar hopping and go to nice dinners and you have all these options. 
Again, Schwartz and Sandy's is in a residential location across the street from Gelson's. So my thing is, it's like, even if the locals wanted to go out for a drink, they're not going to want to go to a more pretentious spot like Schwartz and Sandy's. They're going to go to the bistro next door that has beer and wine, that has craft beer and wine and coffee. That's where they're going to go because that's a, a, a chiller vibe. You're going to be like, oh, let's get out of the house. Let's grab like a sandwich and a beer, you know? Like, just think of your own neighborhood. Like, if you want to go out and you want to, you know, look a little cute, you're not going to walk two blocks down to Schwartz and Sandy's. You're going to go to Beverly Hills. You're going to go to West Hollywood. You're going to come into downtown. You're going to go somewhere that's more of a destination because you're trying to get out. Or if you just want a chill vibe and you want to get out and just, like, walk a couple blocks, you're probably going to go to the Bistro and not to Schwartz and Sandy's. Schwartz and Sandy's is nice. I'm not going to say it's a bad vibe. It's a cool vibe. It's just a bad location for that vibe, unfortunately. And that's why I don't think it's going to last. Okay, so Jax Taylor, shifting gears here, Jax Taylor was talking to Extra about the brawl that went down at the Vanderpump Rules reunion. He gave an interview with Extra at the iHeart Radio Awards, and he said that he spoke to mostly everyone after the reunion to make sure everybody was good, and he confirms that he did hear about this near brawl that went down, which he says he thinks is between two of the boys. And people are speculating that, oh, he must mean that it was Schwartz and Sandoval that got into this near brawl and had this near physical altercation um, before Andy Cohen had to interject. But Jax didn't necessarily say that or confirm that. Um, That's more of like speculation that the internet has kind of come up with based off of what he did say but he said that he has spoken to Schwartz and he says that he's spoken to other people in the group and that one of the guys that he spoke with confirmed that there was a near brawl and you kind of believe that the guy that he spoke with was likely part of the near brawl as well but TMZ reported that it was two cast members that people wouldn't expect and that Sandoval, Ariana and Raquel were not the instigators in the near brawl so I'm sure Lala and James are probably one of the instigators <laughs> or maybe Katie. But I mean, I'd, I'm thinking maybe it's Schwartz and James because that's an unlikely pairing, an unlikely duo. Maybe James charged at Schwartz for something. That would kind of make sense. Or James charged at Sandoval. That would also kind of make sense. I don't know if that would be necessarily shocking, but it would make sense. It's unexpected. So I don't know. We still don't know who it is, but I don't believe that Jax confirmed that it was Schwartz and Sandoval. Like, I don't think Sandoval would charge at Schwartz. He has no reason to, and I don't think Schwartz would charge at Sandoval. It's not who he is. So that just, to me, does not make sense. In other news, Eva Marcel is divorcing her husband, Michael Sterling, after five years. We saw Eva on Ultimate Girls Trip Season 2, and we're going to see her again on Ultimate Girls Trip Season 4. Curious if she's going to get into any marital issues that she was experiencing with Michael while she was in Morocco with the other ladies. But unfortunately, her marriage has come to an end. She filed for divorce, and doesn't look like they're coming back from that. Then we have Juan Dixon. I am so glad Juan Dixon isn't here right now. So Juan Dixon was spotted out yet again with the same woman that he was rumored to be having an affair with, this time at a nail salon. So there's a new photo that was released by Bravo and Cocktails. It's the same woman that worked at the university that he coached for. I believe she's like the director of athletic something at at the school he, he used to coach at. He no longer works there. I believe he got fired. 
but he seems to still be hanging out with her and doesn't seem to be bothered by the rumors. First, they were spotted at the laundromat, and even she went on her Instagram story to address the rumors. Now they're spotted at a nail salon. He was getting his nails done. She was there with him. We haven't seen them kissing. We haven't seen them hugging. We did have an eyewitness that claimed that they were getting cozy. But, I mean, I'm skeptical to just jump in and believe that this is like a full-blown scandal affair. But he clearly has no shame. So it's possible that he's doing something shady and that him and Robin probably have some sort of arrangement. At this point, you can tell he just does not care. And I don't even think Robin cares at this point either because they're married now. So now she's like, I have to just roll with it and look like an idiot if I have to look like an idiot. But I don't believe they're having a full-on affair. But I wouldn't be surprised if they were having a little vibe, if they got a little flirty at times. Where there's smoke, there's fire. So I'm not not saying I don't believe it, but I'm also like, I don't know. It's a little dicey. Moving into some Beverly Hills news, we have Kim Richards, Denise Richards, Cynthia Bailey, Larsa Pippen, and Camille Grammer that have all made some appearances with the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills cast members. So it seems like they're all coming in. I believe Cynthia and Larsa are making like a brief cameo. Cynthia at... Kyle's recent dinner party, and then Larsa at Garcelle's recent film event. Kim Richards was spotted filming with Kyle and Dorit. She was showing them something on her phone, uh, talking about something. They looked like they were having a cute moment. Denise Richards has been spotted a few times, one being at Kyle's dinner party and Garcelle's film event. But I am hearing that Denise has been getting slapped drunk. Um, She's been getting a little too litty city. But other than that, I haven't heard much about any drama or anything. So it sounds like the season so far has been pretty lackluster. Or not even sounds like. I've had people tell me this season is pretty lackluster. People that are close to the situation. So I don't have high hopes for the new season of Real Houses of Beverly Hills. I don't think it's going to be a knockout season. And I don't know if like Larsa and Cynthia Bailey doing, you know, a 30 second cameo is really going to be that juicy, you know? And people are, like, excited about Denise Richards back. And I'm like, why? Like, what about Denise Richards is interesting to you? Like, or what about what she gave us before is interesting? Like, you just didn't like her because she was working off of Rinna and you didn't like Rinna. I'm glad Kim Richards is back because I do like Kim Richards. And I think Camille Grammer is interesting. So I'm not mad about Camille and Kim, but I don't think we needed to bring Denise back. And I just, to me, the writing's on the wall. It doesn't look like a good season if you have to bring back... Denise, Kim, and Camille. Yes, we bring back housewives all the time for fun cameos, but when you're weeks into filming and then you throw them all together in the same week, that tells me that like we're really struggling with the footage we've gotten so far. So time will tell. We shall see what we get. But don't forget to get your tickets to No Filter Night Out, April 27th in Philly, guys. Philadelphia, April 27th, No Filter Night Out with the Brav Bros. Come meet me, Steel, Shooter. Have a drink with us. Watch a live taping of the podcast and just have a good time. We've got some fun gift bags for VIPs. Um, We're going to be doing a fun meet and greet. Like I said, I believe if they're not sold out yet, the meet and greet packages were selling like that. So I would suggest you get your premiere tickets right now. VIP, go to nofilterlive.com, nofilterlive.com. Um, you can always give me a follow personally at Just Plain Zach. If you want to keep up with me, follow the podcast at No Filter with Zach. And be sure to leave me a nice review on Apple Podcasts because I love that validation. And people have been me- leaving me like mean reviews on Apple Podcasts. I'm like, why are you guys like so crazy? Like, 
why are you so obsessed with me? And they're like, you're toxic and you're mean. And I'm just like, oh my God, y'all need to chill. If you can't take the heat, get out of my kitchen. Get off my stove. All right, guys, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm sending you so much love this week. Um, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful evening. I will talk to you soon. I'll keep you posted on the GP, but follow me on the Instagrams. If you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe, like, hit the bell notification button, and I will keep you up to date. All the tea. All right? All the tea. All of it. All right. Ciao for now. Bye.